Welcome, you're listening to Herman and Jason Spin the Yarn. Today we're going to be talking about what would the world look like if we had free, decentralized, and abundant electricity. Hey Jason. Hey Herman, how's it going? No, I'm good, I'm good. Uh, so it's actually scorching here where I am right now. I'm sitting just sweating uh, into my chair and you're on the other side of the world where it's a uh, yeah. little wintry. It, it is very cold here and I have a, uh, you cannot see it, but it's actually a heater that is going on an on-off cycle throughout the day. I've moved, recently moved into a new place and it is very uh, unenvironmentally friendly. Uh, I think there's gaps in the windows the size of apples. There's, there's gaps under the doors, there's gaps everywhere. Uh, it's quite an old house, so I think it's got a, an excuse to be in this way. But obviously, before the invention of electricity, I don't think they were th- really thinking about you know gaps under the doors and all of these kind of things. So this heater, it's uh, doing doing the the good good lord's work <laughs> and keeping me warm. Don't houses in London have boiler pipes that come through from a centralized heating plant? Yeah, so there's centralized heating, There's a, it's gas run, so it's gas which heats water, and that water basically circulates throughout the house, it makes like a popping noise because it's quite an old, it's quite an old uh, radiator system too, and I mean even that's not really a match for the way that the house is built, and the owner is very uh, frugal with the way that he uh, maintains his home, so that's, that's, uh, that's my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hear you. I hear you. Uh, so every every summer, I'm kind of tempted to get a air conditioner to chill out my room for a little bit, but I've never really gotten around to it. And what you said is exactly true. Is the way that we condition our homes um, and our places of work is one of the largest energy expenditures that individuals can have. So both heating and cooling our our homes has an environmental impact by making our immediate environment an ideal temperature for for us yeah i mean there's ways that i'm uh, counteracting it so i'm trying to take uh there's this uh, theory of hormesis where you're putting your body under stress so i take cold showers i try and like keep it as low as possible at night and uh, also just because it helps with sleeping uh, it helps if you sleep at a lower temperature so in a sense i'm kind of you know adapting my own way of living to you know reduce my uh, impact environmentally but uh yeah i mean i wouldn't mind being in the, the scorching heat of cape town to be honest i think i think the the thing is like houses here they are built to be uh warm in the winter and not really that cool in the summer and i think houses in south africa are the other way around so they built to be mm. cool in the summer and then uh when winter comes people just get frozen that's true. So so that's actually a very good segue into what it is we're chatting about today. So I'm going to pose to you a, a hypothetical situation, right? Some scientists find a certain type of uh, very abundant quartzite, right? It's a, a mineral that is found pretty much everywhere in the world. And we realize by running, let's take, for instance, a very small charge of something through it, it patches through to a ether that surrounds us or an alternate dimension that is just very, very abundant in electricity. So mm-hmm. by having this this crystal with a little bit of electronics attached to it, we can essentially siphon off uh, some, some power from this ether. And it mm-hmm. is abundant in ways that we can't really fathom. So it is essentially a limitless 
pit of energy that we can do whatever we want and uh, want with. So as an example, your cell phone wouldn't have a battery. It would just have a teensy little crystal that siphoned off the amount of uh, power it needed to run. Your car wouldn't have, your electric car wouldn't have a big old battery pack all the way along the bottom. It would just have a uh, crystal somewhere that, uh, you know, siphons the energy through. And then big industrial processes as well. Um, ships, industry, uh, everything just essentially grabs some of this essentially free power from the ether. So I'm curious to, to talk about what that would look like to society and to technology if that happened. Well, uh, qualifying question. Does it, does it happen today or did it happen a few years ago? Because we can talk about, you're mentioning electric cars, like it's a thing that we've uh, just got abundant uh, in its own right. Because there's obviously the transition, first of all, panic in the markets. You know, the oil, the oil producing countries, OPEC, goes under. They don't need, there's no need for them anymore. Or do you want to go into sort of, we've already gone through the turmoil of finding this abundant material? Or Let's talk about like what would happen, the turmoil that would happen and theoretical things that would change. And then let's assume that things stabilize and we're living mm. in this utopian future. What what does the world look like? Okay, so let's make it first, ten, first five years, uh, 10 years, then 100 years, something like that. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, you can you can kick it off with OPEC. I'm I'm curious to to hear what you think will happen to the poor Middle East. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, uh, I think the Middle East is a, uh, they've done a lot of work, right? Uh, and there's kind of a few articles I've read recently about how they're transitioning from uh, being very oil based into more renewable technologies. But obviously, uh, all of that will be in vain because whoever, whichever company found this idea and there's also the question of like patents and stuff. So is it patented? Uh, is there one company that holds a patent to this technology? All right. So I was reading, uh, I was reading this book by Terry Pratchett called The Long Earth. And essentially, it's a, it's a little piece of technology that is really simple that allows you to hop between alternate universes on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Earth becomes long because it is broad. There are infinite Earths in both directions. But how it gets released into the world is no one really knows who invented it. But on some discussion boards and uh, like 4chan and stuff like that, schematics were just starting to uh, get posted of how this thing works. And so no one owns the rights to this. And it's just kind of simple. And scientists would look at it and be like, holy shit, how did we not see that before? Yeah, yeah. So this is the Bitcoin approach, you know, like uh, Satoshi. He just releases it on yeah, GitHub yeah. and then suddenly there's like a, you know, 4chan or like a Reddit post. Everyone gets involved. They, you have a few scientists that corroborate. Obviously, there's scientists that kind of uh, try to refute the fact, but it's abundantly clear uh, that you can construct this project with uh, a couple of items that you find from your local hardware store. Uh, everyone's out going to go purchase those sort of uh, bits and bobs putting them together and uh, they can plug it in and switch on lights and start uh, reducing their impact on the environment. I guess, yeah, you, the first thing you, you're going to do probably is convert your house, run off this thing because, uh, you know, it's going to take a bit of time for energy companies to, uh, you know, catch up to the fact that uh, this is available. It'll also be completely decentralized, right? So every house will have its own, its own essential power grid or so, so like, 
we we have this idea of plugging things into the wall, but because everything is now completely decentralized and able to just siphon out of the out of the ether, is you don't necessarily need to plug anything in. Your fan could just have a little crystal in it, right? Mm. Your laptop would have a little crystal in it. The only things that you would really need wires for is just transmission of information, but transmission of power essentially becomes moot. Like mm. entire the the largest machinery in the world is arguably power grids, and that machinery mm. like that becomes completely obsolete. Yeah. It's a, I guess it depends also on how easy it is to to actually make this device that converts it, right? Mm. So if it is easily easy produced, there's obviously going to be effects on you know those materials, or whether it will be to the effect of I mean, if it is like something that's just put into devices, then it's going to take a little bit of time for those devices to be manufactured, obviously. But in the meantime, someone could create it. They would have to retrofit their house, or they would retrofit what they really have. Because no one can afford to just go replace all of their stuff with new things. So there will be this time uh, between now and 10, 20 years where there are still transitions. And mm. I can imagine in the sense of a dev- DevOps consultant and an agile coach that there will be people who are trying to uh, shill the idea of converting and how you would convert from one to the other. And there will be a big debate about, you know, what's the best way to convert your house, use this new technology. There will be definitely some people out there that are you know making making a sort of a bit of money just telling people how to actually convert their homes yeah cuz also it'll it'll spur on this huge uh this huge innovation spree just off the top of my head okay everyone's got uh devices that currently exist using the normal electrical system what about we create things that are just normal plug sockets, but it's just a little box. So you need mm. to run your dishwasher, right? You just buy a little box and you plug the dishwasher into that little box and you tuck mm. it behind the dishwasher. So you essentially can decentralize all of the existing appliances that work without mm. having to go and fabricate new ones. Um, mm-hmm. That is something that could be patented, right? Mm. Like that that idea. So I think... That box. Yeah, exactly, that box. Um, and then, you know, further stuff like... I was I was reading a very interesting article about how jumbo jets work, right? Mm. And so you've got <laughs> some uh, light reading, just just some <laughs> just some light reading. Yeah, the physics behind it just, is really just some interesting. mechanics and some uh, you know aer- aeronautical engineering. Nothing. Hey, nothing. everyone has their own way to relax. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So you've got you've got the tube. It's the tube and wing design, right? Mm-hmm. And so. The the fulcrum, the kind of center of weight, sits a bit in front of where the wings are. So essentially, what happens is the uh, the entire airplane would tilt forwards, right? Mm. Um, but then the little tail, what it does, it's actually like an inverted. It's an inverted wing, and it mm. creates downwards drag, right? Mm. So that that stabilizes the plane in flight. Um, you could theoretically put a put a single wing on there, but then it would need to be adjusted to stay level. Mm. Whereas this thing kind of is like level by default because if it goes up, it increases the angle of the wind, and so it pulls it down. If it goes down, mm. it decreases the angle of the wind, so it pulls it up. It's actually yeah. really really smart. But airliners are consistently 
trying to innovate to create like one or two percent increases mm. in efficiency so like on the little tips of wings you know you've got the little fin the right that's to yeah. prevent the yeah the little winglets are there to prevent vortices that cause a bit of extra drag on the wings there are proposed like uni wing designs which would reduce fuel consumption by like 25 percent. but now mm-hmm. if we don't have fuel to consume and we have abundant power mm-hmm. right we wouldn't have to build things with scarcity of power in mind. So you could theoretically create incredibly huge and inefficient vehicles that mm. just run on this power source. You also don't have to carry your fuel. Mm. So, I mean, one aspect of that, though, is that I, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I don't know the details, but one thing that comes to mind when you mention that is that the act of an aircraft engine, is that not doing some sort of mechanical process? So in, in a sense, by converting to a unlimited electrical source, you need to have some way of converting that energy back into a motor or some sort of rotation. So in that case, you would need to have a powerful motor, kind of like you have on trains and stuff. But I don't know what the the limits are in terms of those motors, because if you think of like a, what is the most powerful electric motor and would it actually work for an airliner of that mm. size? Would it need to be like, is it possible to have an electric powered? I guess the limitation of current electric flight is that, you know, the, the power requirement for those engines. But I don't know, maybe we've, we've never really, dis- we've never really investigated electric engines the size of jumbo jets because of the uh, unviability of power to for battery technologies and those kind of things we do actually have ridiculously powerful electric motors because again electric motors are incredibly incredibly efficient and simple right whereas like as you know internal combustion engines are a miracle of engineering the fact that internal combustion engines actually move at all is because of how mm. smart we are as a species whereas you as a you know 13 year old could make an electric motor for your science fair right but you mm. certainly could not make a internal combustion engine now electric motors also have much more torque than internal combustion engines by a long shot Right, it, to the extent that uh, the way that ships' engines start is by using uh, electric motors, or the way that trains move is by burning diesel or whatever to run an electric motor, and then the electric motor is what sets them off or be powered by the lines above. So, while you were telling, telling me about how uh, the ship's engine starts, so this article... Uh, Australian company unveils 1,340 horsepower electric motor for hypercar. Uh, and I don't know if that means that that's, that's a lot, but a jet engine has about 30,000 horsepower required. Okay, that's big. So that is a bit different. And I, I, I understand the need for, uh, so within a, within a sort of, uh, I don't know, we get so much into like the stuff I learned in university, to be honest. It's to be to be said whether we would have to still rely uh, until we could get to a design that is safe enough to be used on aircraft and also go through the process of converting aircrafts to use this technology. Mm. So we would still have a period where we do, in order to fly, 
have to use uh, you know some sort of combustion process. No, it's true. It's true, and I think I think we would have to make a lot of very interesting innovations. But yeah, so now I want to I want to talk about like the the social aspect of it because as we know, access to energy has been one of the main factors in like technological development, education, human rights, etc., etc., etc. Is like access mm-hmm. to to energy liberates people is if you had a lot of energy in okay energy and information but they they kind of go hand in hand in in a lot of respects just because of how societies develop but now let's say for instance you're in um Djibouti or Chad in Central Africa and you can now get electricity for pretty much free what does that like how does that change society so so yeah like a lot of companies use ele- access to electricity as part of their their way to predict how well a con- country will do mostly because you know access to to energy provides for industry so moving from a, a pure dig stuff out of the ground give it to to other countries model to being able to actually take that manufacture it into a product that's got higher value than the raw materials that's the link that that uh, connects sort of economic activity to energy also like you know if you've got power you've got access to the internet so i i would say that maybe in the 21st century it's more about being able to educate people so you know you would be able to maybe not have access to the internet in that case but you would at least have a way to heat your home you would be able to sort of boil water so there would be a reduction in the number of diseases that you are contracting yeah so i think it would be more prosperous but then would it be that a would it be that people lose re- reliance on a government and therefore lose uh, you know respect for it yeah, so I th- I, that is actually a an interesting uh, one. Is that the pretty much universally the government supplies uh, supplies power to the people, and it is one of the main ways that governments also get money mm. and can exhibit control. So as we saw during like the Arab Spring and stuff like that, is governments could just turn off the internet or turn off power as they saw fit. And that also really depends on on your country, but yeah, absolutely. Having having the uh, the lever to the electrical grid is a very powerful thing for a government, and I'm not too sure what the ramifications of losing that would be. I do think that after the initial collapse of huge industries and the reshuffling of of world power, the world would be obviously in a better place, and we would have a much, much smaller carbon footprint. I just think that it would make the democratic process a bit better because the government isn't as controlling, right? It is more, it changes more from we hold the power of civilization to, hey, we are public servants. So it it changes from a question of providing basic necessities. I guess Food would still be a basic necessity. Water is kind of okay, assuming you've got sources. So you're moving higher up 
the Maslow's hierarchy, and I don't necessarily want to say that because it's not always true, but you're moving yeah. up to, instead of having to provide basic amenities, you're looking to provide the next level up, which is more sort of uh, focused on personal well-being and uh, self-actualization and all of these kind of higher level thoughts, kind of like you have in the first world or in the kind of developed world versus developing worlds. Developing worlds, they're focusing on building up this, this baseline requirement for humanity. And then in mm -hmm. the first world, they're thinking about how can they, you know, have uh, a flourishing sort of social scene, flourishing sort of cultural activities, art galleries, uh, all of these things that are to some, you know, frivolous, but, you know, it kind of develops people's ways of thinking and they, you know, self-actualize towards becoming an artist or becoming something that's not really... Mm -hmm super connected to the economic value of the company of the country i guess there would still be you know people like there would still be sort of homelessness and there would still be there are many more public services than just power exactly so i mean there's still like an economic thing of whether you can get a job or not uh, mm. but i feel like from a uh, unlimited source of power you can get or connect the dots to some sort of better sort of basic well-being uh, toward mm. power and energy. Another another thing that would be really big is that um, consumer goods, the prices would plummet because the price of consumer goods is directly tied to the price of energy. That's it. As, as energy becomes, becomes cheap, yet yeah, transportation is a huge one. And also just like the amount of energy that goes into, you know, making everything around us, uh, especially in construction, uh, one of the most intensive uh, environmentally and um, monetarily intensive processes is the making of concrete because uh, they have to bake it for so long. There's so much fossil fuels yeah. that are burnt. Um, and now you can heat it up using electricity, theoretically, mm. if you can get uh, if you can do electric heating to you know mm. that degree, which I actually don't know. Um, but it's definitely something that you would experiment with because you've got access to all of this this energy. And I think we'll, mm. we, we've spent pretty much all of human history thinking of the opposite. How can we, well, not all of human history, all of modern history thinking, how can we take this energy source and convert it into electricity? And now we're, now it would be the opposite. It's like, we've got so much electricity. How can we take this and convert it into other yeah. forms of energy that we use? I guess it's also like, in a sense, when you central when you centralize something, it's it, in order to conserve energy so that you can focus on other things. So you rather just uh, let someone else uh, sort of specialize in a certain topic, so that you don't have to waste energy doing like growing your own food, like sourcing your own water. You like going to go, you know, buy medicines or whatever. So you you kind of don't have to take care of that because it's taken care of for you. So in that sense, mm. it's you know. There's going to be people who don't want to grow their own food or don't want to like boil their own water, or there's going to be a device that they they purchase that maybe does it for them. Um, maybe not on the on the food side. You can maybe have grow lights and stuff and sort of more modern ways of farming, but that will still be concentrated. And when there is concentration, there's a need for a sort of governance mechanism to make sure that people don't you know inflate the mm. prices. So the grow lights is a very interesting point you bring up over there. Is that um, Right now, it is arguably cheaper to plant outside than to plant in warehouses because of the energy that's required to run all those grow lights what? and stuff. 
Well, if it's infinite energy, then you're also, you would be able to generate more energy than the sun generates, which means it's like, you could theoretically, whether you're outside or inside, it would be the same. Uh, the, the upper right. limits, assuming, obviously, assuming you could get to light bulbs that have that intensity and obviously the, the sort of actual physical, you know, we're not going to, we're breaking physics in one part, but that doesn't mean we can't we're going to break it all over the place. So there's probably yeah, a physical limit of the, you know, the heat of, you know, whatever, you know, the number of particles that can flow across a diode to emit light. Yeah. Like the size, the size of the crystal denotes the amount of throughput that it can handle. Yeah. Right. So but, it's like, you can get, you can get a big old rock, like a big chunk of it. Um, yeah. And that might be able to like run a, a factory or like a ship. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but there is a theoretical upper limit over there. Like you couldn't bring, you know, the energy of the sun to earth or like create yeah. a nuclear, a nuclear energy, a nuclear bomb sized energy yeah. bubble. So it would have to be bounded in some case, but I, I guess the, the, the positive side is that the, the way that LED technology is going, it's already pretty efficient in terms of converting like uh, energy into light. So I, I don't think that's going to be the biggest uh, worry in terms of development. Uh, you can yeah, no, I agree with you then. Um, obviously, to build all of these things, you're going to need other materials too. So there's still like an environmental impact, right? <laughs> we'll you know, still have terms. a chip shortage. Yeah, people will still want to buy like their powerless uh, or the, their powerless kind of vacuum cleaner or whatever. So you still need to manufacture the plastic and stuff around it. So you'll maybe reduce carbon dioxide, but you'll still have plastic pollution and some of these other things. Um, but I think we'd be, I think we'd be better suited to these other problems because just because of the, well, we don't have to worry about like the biggest problem, which is the, the climate change and the mm. sort of carbon footprint. Cool. Exactly. Okay. Let's, let's maybe fast forward it to 50 years time. So we've talked about like the five year mark, 50 years, you know, by this time, I think everyone would have uh, converted. Uh, you would have, you know, the sort of things in your household wouldn't need electricity. Uh, you would be telling your grandkids about the time that you had to switch on a light and pay an electricity bill. I mean, you had to pay for electricity. Yeah. I mean, if you, <laughs> if you don't have like one of those like wires that go from your roof into the, into the electricity box, like you do in some parts of South Africa, that uh, it would, it would be as absurd as like paying for sunlight. It's like what you yeah. have to, you had to pay for sunlight when you were younger. What do you mean? It's all about us all the time. Yeah. You just need to well, tap into it. <laughs> Living in the UK, you also have to pay for a holiday. So in some sense you are paying <laughs> for sunlight. Uh, so it's, it's not too far fetched. But yeah, so 50 years from now, uh, I guess, yeah, the cold is eradicated. What, what happens next? So I'd say that uh, we would have definitely started doing some, some or other form of space travel. Now, one of the hardest things is escaping Earth's, well, escaping Earth's gravitational pull while carrying all the fuel necessary to escape Earth's gravitational pull. Mm -hmm. So if once we figure out like jet engines that can run on electricity that are pretty powerful, will mm -hmm. fairly easily be able to escape Earth's gravity and the the environment, sorry, not uh, the power cost because it's negligible would mean that going to the moon and back just means that you have to have a good spaceship, right? Because so it's, it's not expensive to leave the atmosphere. But this is where this is where it gets tricky because uh, does does this material give a, a fast 
impulse energy are we able to concentrate it into a point to get to the kind of forces that are required to get a, a rocket into space mm. maybe a jet engine that would take you but to to maybe go through the atmosphere i guess you'd maybe do more of the richard branson approach rather than the rocketry approach yeah. whereas uh, you could just take your your airplane you could just go up and you wouldn't really have any problems getting through the atmosphere because you've still got mm. a jet engine I'd say by then we'd also, because of the abundance of energy, we'd we'd have become very good at controlling its throughput. So we would have definitely like created very good ultra capacitors. So in year five, we would need to immediately have a view of trying to get to a point where we can use this in terms of a nascent electricity charge that's more co continuous to something that's like impacts. Because now that I'm thinking about it, like to launch an aircraft you know there's a certain point where lift becomes less of an issue and it's more about just getting into orbit uh, mm -hmm. i've played kerbal space program enough to know this uh, but yeah so I, I don't think a plane would just be able to like fly into the atmosphere and, and keep going until it gets into orbit unless it had a phenomenal speed which we would have to have from this like impulse kind of motion so yeah so impulse we'll have space travel we'd be able to do you think we get to the speed of light Probably. Uh, so I'd say that, I mean, if you if you carry on accelerating at a at a fast enough rate, you'll eventually get to the speed of light theory. Well, you you'll eventually you get infinite force. You can you can yeah. you can apply force infinitely. Right. So so theoretically, if you're traveling through a vacuum, yeah. you could get close to the speed of light. <laughs> Yeah, so this is where we get, get we're gonna have to get the quantum uh, physicist to yeah, chime no, we, in. we we need uh, physicist on this. Show. <laughs> call eight hundred, help us now, uh, and uh, give us your thoughts on the uh, radio, radio, Herman and Jason. Um, yeah, so so we'll definitely be able to get to. I mean, we'd be able to have a civilization on Mars. All right, I reckon, uh, because mm -hmm. one of the problems there is just having you know energy generation cap capacity. Obviously, there's a lot of sort of machinery that goes along with it. Uh, mm -hmm. We'd probably be able to explore other galaxies. We would just, I mean, fast. that would take us a very, that would still take us a very long time to still move take us a long them. time. But I guess, yeah, I think I think the main problem is just having that energy, right? Uh, you could go at a lot faster pace because currently, when we send out probes, it's kind of on a kind of trajectory. Uh, and it just goes off into space and it still needs to use solar power to power its uh, instrumentation mm. systems so that it can maintain communication. So, well, with, so, uh, so currently our closest star uh, to the sun is Alpha Centauri, which is about four and a half light years away, right? So in order to get to whatever surrounds Alpha Centauri, it would be a, a four and a half year light trip and then it just becomes longer and longer over there. So I... I don't think we'll necessarily be traveling to other solar systems or other uh, planets like that, but I definitely think that we would be interested in what's happening in our solar system, especially mm. this side of the asteroid belt. 100%. Yeah, so I think space space would be... I, I think it would still be a challenge. You know, there's still, still, elements, uh, there's still elements to space travel that uh, need to be considered. Mm. All these smaller changes, like your house is now you know, perfectly air-conditioned because of the negligible power cost, um, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Food preservation, super cheap, cheap uh, consumer goods, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
but we might have scaled up to larger like geoengineering projects. So mm. you could theoretically create like an air conditioner for an entire city or like yeah. you can create giant air conditioners for big blocks because again, the power cost is negligible. So let's take for instance, Ghana, Accra, extraordinarily hot city pretty much all of the time. And the Ministry mm. of Health is like, hey, actually we realized that if we lowered the temperature inside of the city by two degrees, by three degrees, we would have fewer cases of heat stroke and people would live a overall healthier life. And so they do a little geoengineering project that makes mm -hmm. Accra slightly more habitable in the summer. I think there will be in say 50 uh, to whatever years, there will be a philosophical debate, right? Because we don't know from where the source of power comes from. So kind of like the one Rick and Morty episode, there will be mm -hmm. questions about whether you can deplete this unlimited supply of energy because we'll take it for granted that it's unlimited but there'll be, there'll be a constant sort of physics question of where is it coming from, mm. whether it is, you know, uh, you know, if you think back in history, people didn't think that they didn't realize that pushing this stuff into the atmosphere was causing some effect. So in a sense, they were ambivalent to like what was happening to the environment. And in the same sense, we'll have the question of, are we still creating a problem for us later down the line? So right. in the same kind of sustainability motion. I, I actually have an interesting, I have an interesting thought around that. So, so I, there will definitely be a lot of scientists and researchers on there trying to figure out, you know, what is the source of power? And let's say hypothetically that it's really difficult to study it. Do you know, you, you know how a refrigerator works? Yeah. Right. So you've got, you've got your, your compressor that, compresses mm -hmm. the gas and then it goes into the radiator and it and it gets it to that compressed gas which is now quite hot down to room temperature and then the expander essentially takes that room temperature compressed gas expands it again it makes it cool it circulates inside the refrigerator so what essentially happens is if you've got a refrigerator inside of your house and you uh you leave it running the entire time is your house heats up right mm -hmm tiny tiny fraction of a percent but your house heats up because there's a there's an injection of energy that runs the compressor right so that electrical energy gets changed into uh heat energy by compressing that and then it it radiating right so yeah. this huge theoretical uh power source is coming into the uh, into the world so there is a huge influx of energy that is entering uh, our atmosphere yeah. And it needs to dissipate somehow. So we could actually see just like a slower global warming, but not because we're creating a greenhouse, but instead that we've added a whole bunch of little heating elements into our, uh, into our atmosphere. Would it be global warming or universe warming? Because uh, theoretically, like in terms of like, uh, you know, cons conservation of energy, thermodynamics, like, if there is something coming or being created, there must be something de being de depleted somewhere. And whether we can see that or not, maybe it will lead us to be more cautious in how we use the technology rather than just being uh, too over the top. Because, I mean, we wouldn't know. I mean, if it's coming from some alternate world, sure. But then maybe that world is like, they've got this problem. where like, hey, all <laughs> of the energy just seems to be disappearing somewhere. <laughs> Right, we are like the bad guy aliens yeah. who like go to, then they go to then they... Earth and like steal their power. 
been 200 years they have like interdimensional wormhole where they come in, coming at us are like you guys have been stealing our power give it back <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean if they have the, if they actually have the energy to create we could probably go into another episode about like what if you had no energy you know like you, mm. you know they wouldn't have the ability to create any of these devices to go between destinations so in that sense we probably wouldn't have to worry because we'd be like well if we take it from some intimate interdimensional you know other universe and they wouldn't have the energy to kind of create a wormhole to come and tell us about it so yeah there's i think there's a there's theories to be to be had and i guess maybe on the physics level we're we're talking absolute bollocks but <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> don't I mean, uh, d- don't use this as a as a uh, talking point of a christmas dinner it's like <laughs> christmas dinner 2022 <laughs> <laughs> so i heard this podcast in uh, january <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think I think all in all, I think uh, it'll be good uh, in our lifetimes. I think we will see a lot of benefit from this kind of breakthrough. Obviously, those people who find it will. Oh, I mean, if it's a consortium of unknown individuals, they'll feel very happy. There'll be a question about who that person is uh, and whether they've created other great gadgets that uh, the world will uh, want to find and make use of. Um, and yeah, I think all together would be positive. Uh, I can't think of any sort of downsides other than uh, the intergalactic travel. Uh, I think the challenges would be, you know, getting it to a point where we can have uh, impulsive, large bursts of energy. And yeah, what would you say in in sort of summary of uh, the positives? You think it's going to be overall positive? I'd say it will definitely be an overall positive. And I'd say it would lead to a more, like a more equal and equitable society. Uh, in its own way um, just because of the decentralization of it and the reduction of price of consumer goods and the uh, just overall the increased quality of life obviously after you know the the world has stopped burning it will take some time to correct back to you know norms of like lower temperatures and those things and i think it Mm. uh just from discussing in this, we can kind of say that how essential energy is to our everyday lives. Even, I mean, us in the developed world, you know, with ha- like homes and uh, smartphones and stuff, we take it, can sometimes take it for granted. But I guess, you know, it is a part that plays, there is a part to play for energy around the world. And, uh, you know, the more people who have energy, the better off any everyone will be. Yeah, I think this is, uh, as you said, a very good allegory is compared to the early developing world or even wherever you are a hundred years ago is we currently have limitless power comparatively and uh, super super available so i think that in 50 years time we would have very very much taken it for granted that oh yeah you just get electricity out of the out of the ether (laughs) 